Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. And just to recap, just to sum up, uh, Jacob has worked 14 years for Laban um, to pay off um, his two wives, which is not normal. Um, We'll find out later. They're very unhappy about it. Um, And the 14 years are over, and Jacob naturally wants to leave. It's been a long time. Okay, so we're going to catch up with him where he is ready to go in Genesis 30, 25. And I am not there. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, name your wages and I'll pay them. I think Jacob has had his fill of Laban. Uh, Jacob, the deceiver, has now completed his 14 years of work that Laban connived him into, and he's ready to go. So he approaches his father-in-law to tell him he's leaving. But Laban does not want Jacob to leave because Laban loves Jacob, right? Because his daughters are with Jacob, right? And he just can't stand to see them go. No, he doesn't want him to leave because he's like, your presence has brought me a lot of blessing, financial blessing. So he doesn't want him to go. He says, I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. We have to remember over and over again, just because Laban recognizes Jacob's God as real and powerful, it doesn't mean he's a follower of God. To Laban, he's just one of many gods and he's not the God that Laban serves. We'll find out, we'll see later um, who Laban worships and how he worships. But we have to talk about this divination thing Because you might look at this and assume, if you don't know any better, that divination was of God, and he had discovered this because God revealed it through this. Um, Because in the method seems to come to a a correct conclusion. But what is divination? It says, the practice of seeking knowledge of the future or the unknown by supernatural means. Seeking knowledge of the future or the unknown um, apart from God. And what does it say about divination in the Bible? In Deuteronomy 18, 9, it says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, Do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. Today we're going to talk, have a heavy, heavy talk about Harry Potter. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, not really. Um, but we do, we do see, and I'm not saying Harry Potter's evil. I'm just, that's just a joke. But you do see Christians more and more mixing things that it says are detestable to God. You know, looking at horoscopes, fortune telling. You know, you can buy Ouija boards at Target for fun. It's a kid's game. And we're like, this is for fun. It doesn't mean anything. But, but God says it's detestable. And, and I know saying in this culture, is just like, oh my gosh, this guy is so old. That was then and this is now. It's totally, it's not a big deal. But when you look at the Bible, whenever God is upset with Israel, whenever they've gone astray, that's the attitude they have. That that was then, this is now. Things are different. Things are better. Things are, it's all, it's all, it's all okay, right? Every time Israel moves away from God, it's because of this attitude. And it's easy for Laban really to come to this conclusion that God has blessed him because he wasn't blessed beforehand. And then this guy shows up and things are going good. Anyone who has a business can do that. Say, hey, 
management wasn't good and things weren't going well, then we got this manager, all of a sudden things are going well, I want to keep this manager, right? Tom does it all the time. He calls someone in his office, he says, I've learned by divination that you have helped, right? And so Laban's belief in the supernatural and belief in God, he's like, he knows it's Jacob's God who is responsible. So, so Laban wants, he doesn't just want Jacob to stay, he needs Jacob to stay. Because anything we've learned from Laban is the most, thing that's most important to him is money. Okay, so he needs Jacob to stay. So let's see what he does in um, verse 29. Jacob said to him, you know how I've worked for you and have your, how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I've been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you, he asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all, notice, take a note of this. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages, and my honesty will testify, testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you've paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted, or any lamb that is not dark-colored will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you've said. That same day he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted, and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches from poplar, um, poplar, almond and plane trees, and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they made it in front of the branches, and they bore young that were streaked or spotted or speckled. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked and dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. So, and that was a lot of reading. Jacob says that he'll stay. And he says, my wages will be the spotted or speckled sheep or dark colored lambs and every spotted or speckled goat. And it'll be easy to tell them apart. Yours are all plain colored, minor spotted or speckled. So you know I'm not stealing anything from you. But notice he says, let me go through the flocks today and I will take all the spotted or speckled lambs today and remove them and, and they will become my flock. So it's to, happen not, it's to happen in the future, but also he's gonna start today and say, let me go through the flock and remove all the spotted and speckled. And Laban agrees to it, but then if you noted it, he goes that very day and removes all the spotted and speckled and gives them to his sons who, and tells them to go three days away. So he's totally removed everything that Jacob says he'll take. He takes them, gives them to his sons, say, take these three days away into a pasture over there so Jacob won't start with anything. So he starts out with no wages and Laban had agreed to that, but he went back on his promise. Like Jacob isn't gonna notice. 
right? When he says, oh, I'll take this, and the layman says, okay, and then he goes and notices, and then it's not there at all. Like, Jacob's been with the flock. Do you think he's like, what happened? It was all the spotted and speckled lambs and goats. You know, like, he knows who Laban is. He's like, oh. you know, he's like, I hate that guy. I hate that guy. You know, um, where, where did they all go? Um, so the agreement is for Jacob to actually start with something. And then, and then he'll get more each time a spotted or speckled lamb or goat is born. But he starts with nothing, which was not the agreement. He gets nothing. Laban is an unfair and an unreasonable man. He's unfair. He's unreasonable. He is all about himself. Does anyone know anyone like this? Surely you don't. Surely you don't know anyone at work who has power over you, who is unfair and unreasonable, who just will not listen. And let, let's just like, for a second, let's just think for a second. He's, he's not giving stuff to the guy who has, who his, has his grandchildren, right? Like Laban, by, by not giving Jacob what he deserves, he's stealing from his own children, his daughters and his grandchildren. He doesn't care if they're fed. He doesn't care about their inheritance. He cares about himself. He's doing this to his own family. Like, Jacob has got to be like, Lord, 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 Lord. I've never prayed this in my life. Remember Bethel? I remember, you're a powerful God. If you could just strike Laban dead. I know you want to. I know you want to. And I know you're good. And he's bad. So, right? I mean, you got to try, right? Like, but I mean, how, can, how frustrating, how frustrating can it, can it be when you're fair and you're doing what is right, but you cannot get a fair shake. You cannot be treated right. And Jacob could have quit. He could have gone back on his end of the deal, but he stays. And we see that Jacob uses this technique with peeling a certain branch and putting it in the watering troughs to encourage animals to breed. And I've done this with my animals at home and it works. <laughs> Try it. Um, I'm just kidding. I don't want more animals in my house. I'm not breeding them. Um, but in everything that I've read, and I've read a lot of medical documents um, concerning this, most everyone agreed that there's nothing to this. Some people are like, well, maybe, maybe there was a chemical in the wood that when it was put in the water, it got released and it got the animals excited, right? And, and so, but this is really just, just like the mandrakes that Rachel got. There, it's just kind of a superstition at the time or something that they thought worked. And even though we're told Jacob had this technique and he used this technique, we know, and he even knew at the time, that this was not the cause of the increase in, of the blessing. We see he knew the cause in verse 30 when he says, the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. Not the sticks, where I've been. It's the Lord's blessing. It also says at the end of the chapter in verse 43, it says, in this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. This blessing didn't come from the breeding practices because if it did, we'd only see the increase in the sheep and goats. It doesn't say anything about the donkeys and camels or the servants, right? I doubt he was like peeling sticks in front of his servants and putting it in their water and being like, I'm just going to leave you guys. And they're like, those peeled sticks, um, I don't know what's happening to me. Um, <laughs> the guys are like, if there's a trick to this, we need to investigate this. We need to look. But if, but if we look at this, we know this is God's blessing because it says in Genesis 12, 16, 
This is after when Abraham goes to Egypt and leaves Egypt. It says, he treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So in the blessing, it's talking about Abraham's increase with female and male servants and donkeys and camels. And we see the end of this chapter saying the same thing. And he increased in donkeys and camels, male servants and female servants. So we can see just from those two verses, that exact blessing has been transferred. It's gone from Abraham to his grandson, Jacob, because when you see the, how the blessing brought increase, we see it listed the same in Genesis 12, 16 and in Genesis 30, 43. And Jacob, at this point, he knows it. He knows it comes from God, or he never would have made that deal. He never would have brought it up, right? Because white sheep are the norm. Saying that your wages are going to be speckled or saying, I'm going to take the rarest thing there possibly is. And this is why Laban takes him up on it. He's like, okay, sounds good. Yeah, you take that. Because white sheep are the norm, and goats are usually dark without spots on them. So the norm is completely white sheep, completely dark goats. The norm is not speckled or spotted. So he's not asking for half. He's not asking for 25%. He's asking for like the random things that happen that are minimal in a flock. That's what he's asking for. And Laban is just like, this guy is dumber than I thought he was. This guy is so, oh my goodness. I already, I already tricked him twice for 14 years. I've just lived in this. And now I ask him what he wants and I ask if he can have anything. And he picks that. He picks the rare. He picks minimal. I like, and he's like, sure, Jacob, you do it. You do it. Oh, my goodness. Um, can everyone just attest that sometimes son-in-laws are just idiots? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No comments from the back. Um, but there's no reason. There is no reason for Jacob's livestock to outnumber Laban's. There's no reason. It is not natural. It shouldn't be. It is not physically possible no matter what kind of sticks you used, okay? But there's a difference between the natural, what we see in the natural and the physical and in the spiritual. And as Christians, we need to be aware of it. Too often, as Christians, we look at the physical. We fight our battles in the physical. We look to man's ways and not God's ways. We trust in what we see. Over and over again, we trust in what we see and not what God says. But time and time again, when we put our trust in the Lord and focus on what he says to do in the spiritual, we see results in the physical. We can't do things in the physical and expect results in the spiritual, right? But we're doing things in the physical and expecting results in the spiritual. And it's, tr it's true in all things. God works contrary. When in, this, in this Bible, in the word, when we look, he works contrary to the natural way of things. That's how they know it's him because it's not working the way it naturally does. That's how you know it's God, because it doesn't happen that way. It takes a move of God. It takes a miracle, right? And, and God does this in everything. The way he moves is contrary to the way that we expect him to move. And that's true in our finances. And that's why for a $1,000 donation, we have these prayer blankets. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding, y'all. Don't, don't. Unless y'all want one. Um, no. I would give our kids blankies away. I'm like, this, is kind of, this is kind of gross, but it's been prayed over. Um, but, but it's true. We've seen this in our life. And I'm not, I'm, not, um, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. What I'm preaching is super prosperity. No, just kidding. Um, just whenever you talk about like, finances and, and God and the natural and physical people, like, hmm, 
I don't trust this guy. And he shouldn't. Don't trust me. Um, but I remember, we've seen this in our life. I remember um, when we had our, our third child um, who was unexpected and still, it's, we're still getting used to her. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, like, uh, we were like, I don't know what we're going to do. We, we can't really, um, we don't have a car um, to drive this child around. And our first thought was, well, we'll just leave her at home, you know? Um, but my sister calls me and is like, hey, we're moving to South Korea, and um, I have this van, and if you want to come pick it up in Kansas City, you can, you can have it for like $1,000. And I was like, okay. So I drove and I got it, and, it, and it's been lasting us some years, and, um, but it's been, huh, it was kind of uh, dying. Um, it, the car would like turn on and turn off. Um, this is long after my sister gave it to me, just so you know. Um, and we'd just be driving, and it'd be like, ding! And everything would go, shroom, ding, shroom. And it would have these oil leaks, and it was like massive oil leaks, like in our garage to where like our kids would come walking through the house, and there's like footprints of oil coming through the house, you know? Um, and you're like, what are you guys dragging in? And you look, and you're like, oh, it's me too. Um, but, and we were just like, and we kept getting it fixed, and it kept, and we were just like, man, we only drove the car here and home, and we were like, I don't know what we're going to do. And Daisy had been saving up for a car, because um, I'm not the saver. <laughs> Someone. Um, um, don't laugh too hard. It's a joke, babe. It ain't real. Um, seriously, stop laughing. Um, so um, uh, she'd been saving forever uh, for a van. And then um, it's funny, uh, the night before we started on this adventure, I said, we said to each other, we were like, what if we've been saving for a van? And we're really saving to live off this money. Next thing you know, we're living off that money. And we've got this van that's dying. And we were like, ah. And Daisy kept being like, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. But her friends, her Christian friends, it's good to have Christian friends, kept being like, hey, God provided once. God will provide again. God provided once. God will provide again. And God provided again, miraculously. And we have another van. It's used, but like God provided it when we needed it. Our, our, our car was like dead and, and people were like, hey, we'll help you out. And, and, that's, and we were faithful in our tithe and it didn't work out the way that, it, that you would think. Because we had been saving for a van responsibly. And then we, all of a sudden that money's gone, but God provided. God provided. And it worked contrary to the physical. And the spiritual, and the spiritual always works contrary to the physical. It works in, in desires, even in the type of livestock that God uses for increase. We see it working contrary to man. Man, when, when looking at the livestock, the, the white sheep and the dark goats are the ones that increase, and they're the ones that look good. They're the ones that sell. The spotted and speckled are the few. They're the ones no one wants, and God says, I will take what no one wants. I will take the spotted and the speckled and I will bring increase with those. You bring me the spotted lambs. You bring me the speckled lambs. You bring me the things that are cast aside that no one wants and that is rarely seen. And you know what? We're sometimes happy when we don't see that because we don't want it. You give that to me and watch what I do with it. You watch what I do with that because that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what God wants. He takes what man does not want, the things that man will throw away, the undesirables, and he uses them to build his kingdom. That's who he uses every time. We see it time and time again. The people who came to Jesus in the Bible were the lepers, the whores, 
the tax collectors, the lowly fishermen, the cast-offs, the undesirable people, people no one wanted around. They were so undesirable that people often asked, the church people, the priests would be like, why are you with them? Why are you in this person's house? Why have you let them come here? Why are you letting her sit so close to you? Why are you talking? Constantly asking, why are you talking to them? What are you doing? They constantly asked, why are you with them? Why are you with them? Because he's going to build his kingdom out of them. Out of the spotted and the speckled, the unwanted, the few. Because he's going to build his kingdom out of them. So if you've ever thought, God would never want me. If you've ever thought, I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, no one's ever wanted me, then you can, you can bet that God has chosen you for something special. When no one ever wants you or would choose you, you are the spotted and the speckled, and God says, oh, I will take that lamb and watch me bring increase with that. Watch me. Just watch me. You are exactly what God will use to build his kingdom. You are exactly what God wants in his kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 1.26, it says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. He says this to all of them, to the church. It's like me saying, brothers and sisters, remember who you were when you were called. None of y'all were good. Nobody liked y'all, brothers and sisters. Remember who you were. Not many of you were wise. <laughs> That's got to work as a sermon. You guys were dumb. Not many of you were wise, right? Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God chose those things and gave it such power to nullify the things that are. God chooses the spotted and the speckled, the imperfect. But sometimes as Christians, we still are looking through the world's eyes. Even as Christians, we look at it through, through the physical. I had a friend who used to work at, in a college ministry, a very prominent college ministry, and they would train them. All right, we're going to build the kingdom of God. This is how you do it. Go after the athletes. Go after the quarterback. Go after the center. Go after the point guard, the people of great influence. Because they'll have the most influence and they can spread it the most. And he said, and they would come, but they never really got it. And they were never really part of it. And I felt like we were sharing this false gospel and lifting these people up who were already famous and saying, yeah, we're with them. They're, they're Christians and they weren't really. And I started thinking, is that what Jesus would do? Is that what Jesus would do? Would Jesus go after the prominent? Would we, would we go after the popular? Would he go after the people of influence? and not look at the people who are being passed over? Or would Jesus go to the people who are being passed over? That is where Jesus would go. WWJD, write it on your bracelet. That's where Jesus would go. It's not how Jesus would do it. And this isn't just like one college ministry. The entire church is kind of bought into fighting our battles in the physical and solely in the physical. That's what we do. We buy into philanthropy. We're just like these businesses, right? We do good works. We do good works. We get kid, kids' backpacks. We, we feed the homeless. We, we try to be a known presence in the community and do good in the community. And, and that's good. I get that. 
But if that's all that churches are doing, but we're not seeing revival, why is it? If we're like, man, we're working, we're doing all this stuff in the physical. Why aren't we seeing results in the spiritual? I don't understand it. We're working so hard in the physical, but we're not seeing anything spiritual happen. Well, look at it. There's a correlation. You're not seeing anything happen in the spiritual because you're not fighting in the spiritual. You're fighting in the physical. And the physical alone, that's all we're doing. We've been doing the church's work in the physical. Now, it's hard in this day and age to get Christians to tithe. It's hard to get Christians to volunteer. And we, and we have faithful, helpful people. We do. And it's awesome. And a lot of churches have faithful, helpful people. Great volunteers. And we need them. That helps build the church. That helps raise our children to be men and women of God. But it is not where we do battle. It's not where we do battle in volunteering. That's not where the battle is won. In Ephesians 6, 12, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so, of course, we cannot win this spiritual battle with good works. We cannot win a spiritual battle with good works. It is one with prayer. It is one with prayer. In Ezekiel 22:30, God comes to Ezekiel and he says, I looked for someone. I looked for someone among them who would rebuild the wall of righteousness and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. What a tragic end to this sentence. God says, I was looking for someone, anyone, one person to rebuild the wall of righteousness and stand in the gap. And I looked and I looked and we know God is a patient God. So we know he was looking for a very long time. And what a tragic end to that sentence. If you can hear the sentence, if I was Ezekiel hearing the sentence come out and I'm just like, you looked and you looked and you looked. But I found no one. I found no one who was willing to stand in the gap. I saw no one who would intercede for the people like Abraham and Moses, right? When, it, when God was like, I'm gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham went and he interceded and he said, Lord, what about this? What about this? When Moses went up on the mountain and God said, go back down, we already, they already built the calf. Can you believe it? I brought them out of Egypt. They're giving credit to coming out of Egypt to those two golden calves they built. You go ahead back down there, Moses, and I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to start over with you. And Moses says, no, please, no, please. He talked to God. He interceded for the people. One person interceding for the people. But God says, I looked and I looked and I looked, but I found no one. And so maybe here in America, we have more Christians than there have ever been. Maybe we have more churches per square mile than there, there have ever been. But do we have intercessors? Do we have people interceding with God? Do we have people standing in the gap and rebuilding the wall of righteousness and going to God in prayer and going to God in prayer? People on their knees not asking God for their needs, but asking God for his will to be done, asking for the land to be won, asking how to rebuild the wall of righteousness, asking how to stand in the gap on their knees, praying and weeping for the people and the land. Would he find one? 
would he find one? Matthew 9, 37, 38. Jesus says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And the church has workers, but only workers in the physical, not so much workers in the spiritual. If we want the seed, if we're throwing out seed and talking about Jesus and, and proclaiming his word, if we're throwing out seed right and left and we want the seed to take root in our families and take root in our lives and take root in our churches and take root in this country, well, first the soil must be plowed. The soil must be turned over. The ground must be softened for that seed to hit. But when it comes to prayer, because that's what softens the soil, that's what softens the soil, prayer. When it comes to prayer, the work, sometimes Christians, we work like teenagers. We work like teenagers, and especially male teenagers. That's how we treat prayer. I remember my mom would be like, hey, can you mow the, mow the lawn, please? And the grass is like this high, right? And I'll be honest, in North Carolina, the house we lived, you know, it was kind of run down. I didn't want to go outside because it was running a highway. And then people would see me mowing the grass and know I lived in that house. So, I, you know, I was like, if one person sees me out there. I remember one time we were driving the bus. We, had to, we were driving the bus because we kidnapped it. We took the bus from our ground. And I was like, give me this bus. Um, no, um, <laughs> we, were, we were riding on the bus. And uh, a minister, Og Brown, drove the bus. Um, and uh, we stopped in front of our house, and my mom's having a yard sale in the yard at this awful house. And we liked to get out and walk past our house. <laughs> you know, wait till the bus drive, and then we're like, right, now I'm going back. Now I'll go back to my house. And my mom was sitting out there having a yard sale. And he's like, oh, we've got to hurry and come back to the sale. And we were all like, Ugh. And then loudly being like, mom, why are you selling people stuff in front of this strange house? But so I didn't want to mow the grass. So when I would go out and mow the grass, you know, and I'm sure you guys see this all the time, no matter what your house looks like. You, you send your son out to mow the grass, comes back in, you're like, why are you sitting there? They're like, oh, I couldn't find the gas. <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere. And they're like, the, the gas is right next to the, next to the, in the tank that says gas, next to the lawnmower. And they go out and they're like, oh. Oh, that was gas? Is it good? Do we know if it's good? I could die. All right. And then they put the gas in, you go out, and then it's like, doo -doo 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 -doo. <sighs> go inside, like, what, what are you doing sitting down? The grass is half mowed. The lawnmower's sitting there, be like, stalled out. <laughs> I don't know. Like, did you, did you try to start it again? No. It's obviously broken. Mom, you know what I mean? You got to ride them. You're like, just, <laughs> I could have mowed the grass twice as fast just going out there doing it by myself, you know? Male teenagers, right? You gotta take them every step of the way. You gotta be like, here's a lawnmower, here's a gas. If it stops, start it again. Pull that string. It's pretty easy, right? But that's how we pray. That's how we pray. We're like, sure, I'm gonna pray. Oh, I'm gonna pray. Lord, thank you so much. What's that? What's going on outside? Hmm, I'm gonna go over there. Oh, I'm gonna pray. Man, you know what? I'm tired. I pray for a little bit. You know what? Never mind. I'm gonna listen to music and pray. You know, like, and we just like, we just like, it's hard, right? We're just like male teenagers. And God's like, why don't you pray? And you'd be like, well, can I pray right now? I don't even know. Right? Like any, any excuse to not do it, to make it short. Right? And any excuse. We don't want people to see us pray. We don't want people to see us pray. Someone's like, hey, hey, I'm dying. Can you pray for me? You're like, yes. Oh my goodness. I'm going to pray for you. 
in my closet, at home, in my quiet place, all night. And I can pray for you right now. There's people around. I won't pray for you hardcore. And then you're like, Lord, bless this food. Oh, and bless Gary. Uh, bless Gary. Uh, amen. You know, and then people are like, why'd you add that Gary thing in there? We're trying to eat, you know? Like that, I mean, seriously, that's how, that's how we pray. Like we, 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 don't, we don't want to put in the time. We don't want to plow the field because plowing the field takes a lot of time. I don't know. I'm not a worker, but I'm sure that it does. It takes a lot of time. It's hard work. It's thankless, and it, but it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning and it has to be done. It has to be done. And in the church, the workers are too few. The workers are too few. We, we can build a church. We could, we could buy 100 acres of property. You can build this big church. You can have so many programs and not take in any ground for the kingdom of God. Not take in any ground for the kingdom of God. Because we're working in the physical. In Matthew 21, 13, Jesus says, My house, my house shall be called a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. How many churches have you gone to? This church included. Are we a house of prayer? Is that how you would describe it? You come in and you leave and say, I don't know, but you know what? That, that, that was a house of prayer. That was a house of prayer. They were on their knees before God. They were putting in time. They were putting in the work. Is our house a house of prayer? Is your house a house of prayer where you live? Is it a house of prayer? Is that where you go? Are you on your knees? Because I'm telling you, my house, and by nothing I did, well, maybe I was so bad I drove my mom to prayer, but she, 4.30 in the morning, she was up praying. She still does it. 4.30 in the morning, she is up praying, 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 praying. And I've seen, I saw, like she would write in this journal, about us, what you pray over us. And one time I found it under the couch and it was a good teenager. I wasn't like, you know, oh, these are mom's thoughts. I was like, hmm, let's see what she says. Oh, Leanne, ha ha. Mom's praying for you for that. I ain't going nowhere. Um, just kidding. But, I, you know, and I'd be like, but I saw what she prayed. And I saw how I saw myself and the truth that she was praying over me, which was completely different. The things that she wanted me to be, the things that she saw in me. And guess what? Through those years and years of being on her knees and writing it down and down and begging God, now I am that man on that paper. And when I saw it, it planted a seed, but that seed would not have taken root in my heart when I saw it if she had not been plowing the ground for me. I am where I am because of God, but because he answered my mother's prayers who, who was on her knees by herself all the time. And we say we want change. We say we want this. We say we want that. But are we on our knees by ourselves and with each other? Are we? Can, do we do that? It takes sacrifice. Because I'm telling you, you go to church, man, you can get volunteers and say, hey, we're going to go do this. Get 100 volunteers. Hey, we're having a prayer meeting. Five people will show up, including my family. Five people will show up. And you say, okay, that's what we got. We got five workers. We're going to plow this ground. But how much more ground could be taken if the entire church was plowing the soil, was plowing the ground. I'll tell you, sometimes when we have, not, not sometimes, when we have prayer and worship nights, I am so tired. I dread it because it's a long day. It is a long day. 
coming in the morning, coming in the evening. And we come in, I just dread coming in, and then we come in. And by the end of it, I'm so glad I came. That was refreshing. That's where, I, that's, man, I'm like, that's where I feel. No matter how many people are sitting in this room, no matter how, how much happens here, when I feel that the things are moving in the spiritual, when I feel like we are taking ground is when there are five or 10 of us here on worship night praying, praying our butts off. That's when I feel like God, God is going to take ground with this church and God is moving in this church and we are plowing, we are plowing the ground. That's when I feel like the work is being done and you leave feeling refreshed and you leave like no matter how tired I, I came in, I leave energized. And I'm like, God is good. God is good. We need to be a people who will pray, who will gather in his name and pray. I want this to be a house of prayer. I want your houses to be houses of prayer. We need to be, there's a battle going on and Christians are sleeping on it. We're sleeping on it. We're not honing our, our weapons. We're not practicing with our, our weapons like to like get good with them. We're just like, like one of those people that are like, well, when it comes, it comes. You know, and we're like out fighting with shovels. We're the first to die in the front lines. Today's Christians are like, yeah, send them. They're just like a mass of people. Just send them. And we're just like fodder right? We need, we need to shape up as Christians. We need to shape up. We need to be on our knees. We need to be seeking God. We need to be plowing the ground. We need to be battling in the spiritual because no matter what good we do in the physical, it will not move the spiritual. Because look, there's evidence. Churches more than ever before are giving money and doing things in their community and, and, and being a well-known presence in their community. And how many people do you see walking with Jesus? How many people do you see whose lives are being changed? How many times do you see people just being delivered? How, how many times do you see people being healed? Are you seeing it? Working the physical is not doing it. We got to work in the spiritual. And we have been tricked into thinking that we're working hard when we're working in the physical and the physical alone. We're doing a lot of good. We're doing a lot of good. We're doing a lot of good. But we're doing nothing for God. And the, the devil wants us to do good because he knows that it is pointless if we're not taking ground for God. He's like, yeah, you do your good things. You do your good things. That's awesome. You be good. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Oh my goodness, that's so awesome, you. Because he knows, yeah, you're still weak. You are weak. And that's where I want you. You do your good deeds. You're still weak in the spirit. And there's no way you're taking this land from me. And as Christians, we need to, we need to get, on, get on our knees and say, oh, yes, we are. Oh, yes, we are. And it's a simple, simple task that we have overlooked. We are not here to build this church. We're not here to build this church. This one specifically, we are not here to build the well. We are not here to extend our territory and pray the prayer of Jabez. We are here to expand the kingdom of the living God. That is what we are here to do, all Christians. That is what we are here to do, to plow the ground. Plow the ground. And we're here to plow the ground together. So, so many churches are like, oh my goodness, like there's so many people, they attend church together and they're walking together and they're like, there's such great fellowship, such great fellowship. But in reality, fellowship to Christians today means we like to chat with each other after church, but that's not fellowship. We have, we say we have fellowship and then we have a bunch of little islands living life on their own, praying by themselves, keeping keeping their little secrets and problems to themselves, praying alone. And that is what the devil wants. That is weak fellowship. That is nothing fellowship. That is not real relationship at all. It's just people saying hi to you. 
People can say hi to you all day and not change your life or care or pray for you or intercede with you. That is fellowship. That is fellowship. And we're not going to be here and keep secrets and live our little lives and have our own little islands and say, I'm going to suffer through this together. I don't want people to know what's going on with me. We are going to pray for each other. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to, we're going to dig. And then if you tell me a secret, you know what I'm going to do about it? I'm going to pray about it. And then I'm going to go gossip. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just going to pray about it. I'm going to pray about it because things are moved. Things are moved in the spirit. When we pray, real fellowship is praying together. Praying together. That is fellowship. The battle is in the spiritual. And guys, that's where we're going to fight. That is where we're going to fight. That's who we're going to be. So how many fighters do we have? How many workers do we have? How many do we have? Because if we got two, if we got three, God will do. It will take longer. It will take longer. God will say, I wanted to move in 2022, but I could not find the people willing to get on their knees and pray. So I moved in 2025 because it took that long for you guys to get on your knees and pray. And I want things to happen faster because I'm an impatient man. (laughs) I want God to have his way. I want his kingdom to move I want, I want to take the kingdom of God, not build a church. I want real fellowship. And it begins with prayer. I want this house to be a house of prayer. So in a minute, I'm going to call each of you up here, and you're going to pray aloud in front of everyone else. What's well, funny. No, I'm, not, I'm just kidding. But we are going to be a house of prayer. And we are going to get used to it. You've got to get used to it. You gotta get used to praying with people. You gotta, you gotta get you gotta get used to being honest with people and say, this is what's really going on. This is what's really going on in my life. You know? And then, and then, then that's when you see God move. That's when you see God move. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about the well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.